Well, good morning. My name is Mike Hall. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Eric Barton, who is our campus pastor, is not speaking this morning. He was doing announcements with the matching uh, coffee mug. Uh, and But uh, you've got me. Sorry. And yeah, you, you, Sorry, yes. Um, so, hey, welcome. And I'm glad you're here. I want to uh, go ahead and say from the onset that anything that is said this morning that sounds smart or wise uh, is from my wife, Heather. It's me just ripping off her of things that she has said to me recently. Uh, an example of that, just this last week, we're driving down old Jacksonville, and typically I'm always in a little bit of a hurry, uh, just so we're, we're cruising down, and a funeral starts coming the other way. Like, ah, dead people, and <laughs> frustrated. And so I'm a little bit frustrated and <clears throat> about it, and Heather, not even realizing my frustration, just sees it and goes, hmm, I wonder why God would have us pause here for a moment. And I'm going, no, I, I'm wondering, I'm like, what God really wanted was for us to take Cumberland instead of Grande, is <laughs> I'm pretty sure what was going on here in the Lord's will. Uh, but that she has this discipline of doing a great job of walking in the Spirit, knowing that the Lord is always at work around us. And how do we tune in to what the Spirit of God is doing in us and around us all the time. Ah, and it's, it's beautiful, and it's right. Instead of all of a sudden just living in myself, uh, to go, hey, what is God doing in me? And what is God doing around us? It's a lens of how we think. And sometimes I think, you know, I'm a little bit left-brained. I, I'm, you know, what is the data? What does this mean? What do we need to do about it? Whereas my buddy Matt McGill, he's a little bit more right-brained, right? How does this feel? What is the art? It's abstract. The two of us get together, and we sometimes miss each other all the time because we're talking in different worlds. I'm not talking, though, left-brain or right-brain. I'm talking about walking in the Spirit. There's both of that, that all of us, as we go through life, we want to see it through the lens of the Spirit of God that lives within us. So here's why I say that. This morning we're going to talk about some super familiar scripture. Luke chapter 2. It's the Christmas story, and it's a story that we're all very familiar with. And when we hear the story, when we hear a scripture that we've heard many times before, sometimes it's really easy for us to default into our left brain. Yeah, yeah, I heard this. I got this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know this part about the shepherd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mary and held things in her heart and blah, blah, blah. blah. I got all that, right? Or maybe if you're kind of the right brain person, it's easier for you to think of, oh, yeah, that feels so good, and the candles, and, and the, we pass them along, and we sing Silent Night, and oh, I get all the warm and fuzzies, and that feels so good, and it makes me happy. And maybe that's your default, and it brings you back to that nostalgia. Both of those things are good, but there's nothing wrong with those. But here's my encouragement as we read familiar scripture, that we pause, and we say, well, what is the Spirit of God doing in our lives right now as we hear the scripture. How, how should we be convicted? How should we be changed? What is he doing? How does our outlook need to be changed? Uh, not just up here, but in our lives as that flows through. This scripture, it's, uh, it's meant to be read, cherished, celebrated. It's, uh, it's actually a focal point of the Bible. 
right? That the, the Old Testament points toward the incarnation of Christ. The New Testament looks back toward it. It's, well, it's huge. So if you would, if you would turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read this together. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Mark had something there. So, there we go. I wanted a soundtrack going on. In those days, a decree. Okay, so we weren't doing that. That was a, that was a long thing for a bad joke here is what happened. We didn't practice that before the service. I, actually, though, I, the reason I wanted to point that out is because that's, I, it's the only scripture that has a soundtrack to it, right? That's how familiar, well, except for like the birds and time for these things, but maybe one of the few scriptures that have a soundtrack for it. And, and I say that to remind us, right, that it is familiar and we know it. So again, actually, before we go any further, would you pray with me? And would you pray that this morning and the next little bit of time, and you know it's me, not Eric, so it will be a shorter amount of time, that we read scripture together, that the Spirit will do the work, that the Spirit will convict us, that it will change us, that it might make us rethink our thinking, that it might move us to something different, to love in a different way. Would you pray that with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we know that it does not go out void. We know that it is good, and it changes us, and, and we pray that it would do that this morning, that as we read a familiar story and a story that we know, uh, that it would, that you would do work that only you can do, that it wouldn't be out of mustering up strength or courage or knowledge, but that we would yield to what you would have for us. We ask this in Christ's name, amen. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quinarius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was at the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And when they were there... The time came for her to give birth. Stop there for a moment. So Luke here is setting the stage for a couple of things. He's setting the stage uh, historically, and he's setting the stage for why this is a big deal with the Old Testament and prophecy. So historically, this actually happened. This is no historian that debates this. This was a, a real event that happened in time. Quinarius, who is Caesar Augustus, that's the same person in there. As you read the scripture, it might look like those are two different people. That is the same person uh, that Caesar Augustus changed his name to Quinarius a little bit later in his life. He was actually the great nephew of Julius Caesar. So uh, there's a powerful man. And even as he was the, that Julius Caesar was his great uncle, when Julius Caesar died, in his will, he wrote uh, Quinarius to be his heir, to be an adopted son. So Quinarius was a powerful man who had inherited a lot. And as the governor, 
he was known to be a bit of an administrator. Uh, he would, uh, these censuses, censi, if there's more than one, uh, that he would do, he, he did multiple throughout his career. And this is one of them. And the reason he would do that is he would have everyone come so that you, he could place a poll tax on them. So a poll tax is not a tax based on how much money you have or not a based on if you have land or how much money you make. It's just based on existing, being a person. So he would bring everyone in back to their, uh, their place of origin. He'd count you, and he would tax you. That was his bit. So this was happening in history, which was one of, one of the hardest times in Jewish history. Uh, if you can... Imagine the Roman government is oppressing the Jewish people, and in the midst of the oppression, they have to go and journey back to their hometown. Now, what I think is beautiful here is that this is happening in history to everyone, maybe in the midst of the story, this is what happens. This is what Rome does. Here we go again. It's time for another census. But God, he knows what he's doing. This is not just something that happens. He's sovereign and ordained this whole thing. If we look through the Old Testament, if we look in Micah, that we know that the Messiah must come from the city of David, from Bethlehem. We know that the Messiah must come from the tribe of Judah. Bethlehem actually means the house of bread, which we find out 30 years later as Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That there's no accident here. Luke is confirming that Jesus is in the royal line of David and that he is the rightful heir to the throne. All of this is being orchestrated by God without the players perhaps knowing what's going on. I know Quinarius didn't say, you know what, I'm going to do this poll tax now because that's going to be fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy. Not at all. But God uses a circumstance for his will, for his purpose. And sometimes that circumstance is a beatdown. And it feels really hard on people. I, I've never been pregnant. But could you imagine Mary, nine months pregnant, about to have a baby, and all of a sudden getting the decree, we've got to go on a five-day journey when? Now? <sighs> it's hard for me to go to the bathroom, much less walk that far. And you might think, oh, well, she gets a donkey. I rode a horse for an hour once and walked like this for like three days. <laughs> I don't know that that made it any easier. So as Joseph, as Mary are going through the hardship, I wonder if they were ever curious. I wonder if they ever thought, Lord, what are you doing? Why is, why is this happening to me? Why, why the journey now? And it might be fair for a lot of us in this church to ask that same question. I know that there's a lot of us who are going through some hard things and that life can be really tough. And I think it would be fair for us to ask that same question, knowing that God is a sovereign God. God, why are, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? What's going on? What are you doing around me? What are you doing in my life? You might not have the answer. You might not get the answer. 
But it's, fast, it's great to ask the question because the question helps you refocus your mindset not on me, but on God, on what is God doing? What is, our perspective becomes eternal, not inward. Let's keep going. Verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Jesus is called the firstborn son, which is right. Uh, we, we find out later that Mary and Joseph have other kids, that as a firstborn, he actually is heir to Mary and Joseph, which is a, a right thing. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, something we still do now. Uh, the reason we do it now is because it looks cute and it makes your baby stop crying. Uh, the reason they wrapped their baby in swaddling clothes, there was a belief that it would help them keep their limbs straight. But also we'll find out in just a little bit, it was a way that the shepherds would know that it's Jesus. Not that he had a weird glow or a halo or anything, but just that he was wrapped in blankets like another baby would be, another human would be. He was uh, put in a manger, a, a stable, or a manger in a stable. Now, when you think of the manger, this isn't a pottery barn, you know, pallet board manger like we represent in our nativity scene at our house, but it would be a stone, uh, typically a, a big rock that would be carved out so that it could, not deeply, but just shallow enough so it would hold food and hay and stuff for the animals to eat. And it was, uh, there was no room in the inn. Now this inn, again, it's not the Victorian house with the old man innkeeper and the lantern. Uh, it was more of a hostel. It, it was a, a place for travelers. And think of more of an old room with just lots of beds. And that they would go and there's there no room, like there wasn't a bed available. And that was it. That was all there was. So there weren't check-in keys and all of this and, hey, early checkout, maybe I can get in. It was just a room with beds. It, it was way more simple than at least in my mind as I think about it and, and envision it. So they went to the stable where the animals were, which is typically right next to where that hostel inn would be. And the, the uh, geography, kind of the landscape there, it's a lot of big rocks and uh, sort of a, a rugged area. And so there was a, usually a cave and uh, just sort of an area that would be carved out or maybe just you know, naturally carved out into this rock face where they would put the stable and the animals to just keep them out of the rain. So that was... That's the stable. And so there was a big rock face, you know, a stone manger, right, because it's all of a rocky area, and just animals all around there. Not, not a comfortable place to be. But that's where they were. We keep reading in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at, by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory! To God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. 
So a lot have been said about shepherds in the past. In fact, even uh, Tyler and Caitlin this morning when they were lighting the Advent candle, we talked a little bit about shepherds being a, a lowly group. And they were. They smelled like what they would step in and work in all day long. The Romans would despise shepherds. They weren't even, a, their testimony was not even allowed in court in many cases. Uh, the Jewish people, although they were still lowly, had some reverence for shepherds. I mean, as Moses and Abraham and David were all shepherds, even though, like David, they were typically the runt of the family. There was a bit of still uh, respect or honor for a shepherd, even in their lowly position. But overall, they were, they were nobodies. They were the fringe people. The area uh, right now that we believe this was in is a couple miles outside of Bethlehem. It's what is called Shepherd's Field. Not very creative in the naming sake right there. But that place still is there today. And if that is the place, which there's not a reason to think that it's not, uh, there's a big watchtower there that they would look overlook the sheep to keep them safe because back at that time, those sheep in that area were the sheep that they would prepare uh, for Passover. And although Luke doesn't mention that here, the Jewish readers would know that, hey, these are the shepherds who are guarding watch over the sheep for Passover. And the connection there of what God is doing, well, it's, it's the kind of stuff that God does. And then an angel of the Lord appeared. So this is an angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, we hear about the angel of the Lord that is to come. And this is the time that an angel of the Lord gets to proclaim about the angel of the Lord. That at this point in time, God has come near to man. And so the angels erupt. If we could think for a moment of the angels who for all eternity past have been waiting for this day. That they know about the fallenness of man and that they know that someday, someday, God is going to do something about it. And all of a sudden, the angels realize, this is the day. This is the day that God becomes flesh. This is the day that, that we've been waiting for, that he's going to be born in order to actually save all of humankind. Th this is it. And so the angel shows up, and the shepherd immediately becomes very afraid. So I don't know what you think of angels, but you're probably not going to be afraid of a little fat chubby baby with a halo on. No, that's not the angel of the Bible. The angel of the Bible is in all of their glory. That, that there's a piece of the, the angel coming from heaven, that there's a, a glory to them that as a sinful man, we go, whoa. The angel says, don't be afraid. And he doesn't say, don't be afraid because, hey, hey, you're, you're good enough to be with me. Or he doesn't say, hey, don't be afraid because I'm not quite as majestic that my glory doesn't shine just too much. No, the don't be afraid is, hey, you know what? The God of the universe is connecting with you. It wants to be near to you. And so don't be afraid. I get this is, this is awe-striking, but this is good. So he says, don't be afraid. Because unto you is born. When he says, unto you is born a baby. What, what a weird birth announcement. That when you have a child, it was not unto Mary and Joseph. 
but it's unto you. That's who this baby was born for. This day, today, it's the consummation of every Old Testament promise. It's the only verse that the words Savior, Christ, and Lord all appear together. So unto, unto this day a child is born, and then the heavens rip open, and the multitude of angels come to the scene. Again, this is the day they've been waiting for. And what do they say? They say, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom he is well pleased. The first thing they do is they praise the God who they see there. And then he says, and I'm peace among those whom God is well pleased. Be a, might be another place for us today to remember why God has come, why God sent his son Jesus to come is for peace. Maybe in this season, you might be looking for peace. Jesus, as the Prince of Peace, came for that. Not abstractly, not as just as a hallmark greeting card of, ah, peace, peace be with you, but for peace. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they had made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the sh what the shepherds told him. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they have heard and seen as had been told them. The shepherds wasted no time at all. They took off because they understood that God was doing something. They wanted to see it. They wanted to be a part of it. And then the shepherds told Mary and Joseph what the angels said. Could you imagine? The shepherds going, okay, Joseph, an angel showed up to me. And then Joseph going, whoa, 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 you saw an angel too? Well, that was freaky, wasn't it? Yeah. And that the angel came, they were freaked out, and that it was an incredible then affirmation to Mary, who this whole time has been saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm a virgin. And the whole community going, okay, sure you are. But no, when they see this, they go, whoa, this is different. This is a miracle. And in fact, the phrase that all that the shepherds told uh, there, there was wonders. That word wonder is reserved for what people do after seeing a miracle. And then Mary, she treasured these things deep in her heart. <laughs> Love Mary. What an, what an opportunity that she was aware of what God was doing around her at some level. And she didn't spout off or talk through it. She, she treasured it in her heart. I don't know, maybe it was last night when you guys saw the crazy sunset that was out there. It might have been something to treasure in your heart. Maybe it's when you notice what God is doing around you. Maybe it's a conviction that you have. Maybe it's a way that you realize that you were loved. Maybe it's when you get to ask your spouse for forgiveness. Maybe there, there's all kinds of things that God is doing around us. And there's a 
goodness to get to treasure those things in our heart. Then the, uh, the shepherds went and they began praising God, which is the mark of a true disciple. So what do we do with this? What do we do with the scripture? We hear the Christmas story. We know it. It's a narrative. But to begin to ask ourselves, Lord, what are you doing with us in this? Well, for me and how I think about this, this is the season of giving gifts. And unless you're like my mom who ends up doing all her Christmas shopping like in July, uh, you still have some gifts left to give. And maybe you have some gifts to wrap and to, to do something with. But, but I want us to think just for a moment about this gift giving. So we, uh, we've moved in some of our culture about gift giving to be a little bit like a, a gift economy. That, you know what, I have an Amazon wish list. And these are the things that I hope somebody gives me. And then I'm going to give them something. Uh, and then they're going to give something on my wish list, which at one point you're just going, why don't you just buy yourself something, right? That would be a whole lot easier in this process. My brother, who is mildly autistic, and he doesn't know that, so I hope he won't listen to this, but uh, we were talking about this as our family once, and he, he said, hey, uh, why don't we all just like get 20 bucks and just pass it to the person to the left? And he wasn't joking. He was like, it would be a whole lot easier for us to do it this way. Like, okay, yeah. Um, he was just getting to the point. Even when we do like, hey, we're going to do a gift exchange. Okay, well, what's the cap? Is it $20 or is it $30? I don't want to give more or get more, and we want to make this all even, right? This is kind of how we're thinking of gifts. But if we look at a real gift, something that doesn't have a... a a gift economy to it. There's a couple things I want to notice. And one is gifts are creative. One of the coolest gifts I got was actually a card uh, here on the screen. There it is. That was given uh, to me from my son Sam this last year. No, just kidding. It was when he was... <laughs> oh, it's 10 years ago. And, and you know what? I didn't take a picture of what was ever was in the wrapping paper. I just took a picture of the card. To daddy from sad, you rock. And, and he put the little, I think that's a picture of me with the, the hair that way. Maybe a little, and then another picture of holding some balloons and happy birthday. I love that gift. Because it's creative and it's personal. Gifts are creative. Our God is creative. I mean, we see this right in the sunsets and music and art and the ability that he gives us to get to create. But how about in the way he entered the world? How creative to orchestrate the Roman government and people who don't know him and that specific time in history, and in that specific place, even in Mary's pregnancy, to know the day, to get her and to travel to the right place in order for the Old Testament prophecy to be fulfilled, that our God is a creative gift giver. We also know that gifts are given to those you love. Not in the gift economy, but a true gift is given to somebody you care about. It communicates, I'm thinking of you. I care about you. 
My friend Susan Barton talks about giving gifts well. And she says, a good gift has forethought and effort. Yeah, it does. We also know that gifts come without strings attached. If there's a string attached to it, it's not a gift. In fact, uh, a few years ago, uh, we, again, I hope Ross Trader also doesn't listen to this sermon. Um, we were given a Bethel jacket. It was this gray jacket that had Bethel on it. And it was given to us at a staff meeting. And Mark Schwarzkopf, uh, who was playing bass and, and does everything in this building, only wears black. And so we got the gift, and we see Mark see this gray. It's close to black, but it's not black. This gray jacket. And he goes, hmm. And immediately, Eric Barton knows what's going on. And he goes, hmm. And he's thinking, Ross gave this, and Ross is our boss, and this is Mark. And he goes, ah, and he, he comes to the foundry sometime. Mark, um, you can't give that jacket to one of your homeless friends. And Mark goes, why not? It's like, okay, well, Ross gave it to us, and it would be awkward then if all of a sudden next week he drove by and saw a homeless guy wearing the gift you gave him. And he goes, Mark, very rightly, says, so it's not really a gift. And Eric, no, it's, it's a gift. It's just a, it's just a gift that you, you got to use. So I, I can't use the gift the way I want to use it? No, you can't. So it's, it's not a gift. Yeah, it is. No, it's really not. Finally, Eric just said, fine, it's not a gift. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Gave up on the argument. Mark was right on. Because a real gift doesn't have strings attached. This gift that we have, this gift that God gave us, the gift of his son, I wonder sometimes if we think that there's a string attached. Well, yeah, God, you, you did the ultimate thing for me. Something I didn't deserve. Something I, I can't ever pay for. So I, I got to give something back. I owe you something for this. There's a little bit of a gift exchange, right? A gift economy that you died for me, so I'm going to try to be good? That's insulting, isn't it? You really think we can gift economy this thing? No. But this is a gift with, without a string attached to it. That there's nothing to do to receive this gift. And finally, and we've alluded to this, you are the recipient of this gift. Can we sit with that for just a second? This is something that if you're a believer, you know. And if you're not a believer, you've heard this. That Jesus came as a baby, lived a perfect life, and died for you to pay for sin that you couldn't pay for so that you may be in relation with God. You've heard this. But it's true. And it's right. And this is our invitation. If you're a believer, you're invited again this Advent season to continue to believe, to continue to rest in the peace that you can have, knowing that the God of the cosmos, the God of the universe, lowered himself to be a human and so that you can have life, so that you can have peace. This is good. And if you're not a believer, I invite you to believe. 
I don't invite you to do good things. I don't invite you to buy more presents. I don't invite you to do anything other than to believe that the gift that you've been given is for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your gift. Thank you for being a God who gives graciously and generously to us who do not deserve it. But you love us. <laughs> so we just say, wow. Thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.